Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 67, Venice, Part 4. Last time in our Venice mini-series, Doge Pietro Orsoleo II had triumphantly ushered in the new millennium, having sorted things out with the Eastern Roman Empire, with the Holy Roman Empire, with the Saracens, with the Dalmatian pirates, and with the factions within Venice herself. He had also sorted out his son, Giovanni, by marrying him to a Byzantine princess. We finished up the episode wondering what on earth could go wrong. Well, first of all, the glory was starting to get to Orsoleo's head a little, and he was starting to act less and less like an elected official, and more and more regal, let's say. The Venetians started to get a little uneasy. Then, in 1005, a comet appeared in the sky and stayed there for three months. At this point, in the medieval minds, something bad was bound to happen, and in 1006, famine came to the lagoon. Even the newly controlled areas of Dalmatia weren't enough to support the population, because there was also famine there. As is often the case, famine was followed closely by pestilence, and among the many victims of the disease were the Doge's son Giovanni, his wife and their infant son. Pietro was devastated. That same year, he associated his third son, Otto, to the throne, donated most of his personal riches to the church and to the poor, and then slunk off to a corner of the palace, isolated from everyone, including his wife, to then die in 1008, just shy of 50 years of age. Maybe it was out of respect and solidarity to the Doge, maybe the difficulty of the moment, or maybe it was Otto himself who made it so the Venetians didn't kick up a fuss about this passage from father to son. Whatever the reason, it was even more curious due to the fact that at 16 years of age, Ottone Orsoleo was the youngest Doge ever to hold the title. All in all, he must have been a pretty cool guy. Well-built, strong and healthy, decisive, well-trained in politics and war. He had inherited a lot of his father's virtues. Unfortunately, he had also inherited some of his greatest vices, namely his love for splendor and power. For a while, almost 10 years actually, things went along relatively smoothly. However, trouble was brewing. The first power grab by Otto came in 1017, and once again, like with the Candiano, it was religious positions that caused the grumbling. In that year, the patriarch of Grado died. This was a very important position, as it was the religious seat of all of Venice, a post also claimed by Aquilea. 
The Dodger placed his older brother, Orso, another bear, in the position. But by older, I don't mean decades older. He was only 30. Orso left his bishopric of Torcello vacant, and that was taken up by the 20-year-old brother, Vitale. Now, I don't know about you guys at 20, but the last thing I was thinking about at 20 was taking up a bishopric. Anyway. Now, the Venetians really started to worry and started to wonder if some sort of action wasn't required. The call to action came in 1022. In this year, a very amusingly named German patriarch, Popo von Treffen, was assigned to Aquilea. He was not one to beat around the bush, and he immediately stirred up old rivalries by staking his claim over the city of Grado. Now, we've mentioned these two cities again in, in this Venice miniseries and just now, and so it's way past time that, that we perhaps give them a position. They are in the current-day region of Friuli, basically the last region in the northeast of Italy where the land starts to curve back round to the Istrian peninsula and heads to Slovenia and Croatia. Grado would have been a, a couple of hours' march south of Aquilea, but a few days' march from Venice itself. Obviously, things would have been a lot quicker when Venice would need to relieve Grado by sea. Indeed, Grado is out on a peninsula which is nicely named L'Isola del Sole, the Sun Island. Anyway, Popo's argument was that the new patriarch of Grado, Orso Orsoleo, was a usurper. This sat well with the anti-Orsoleo Venetians who rebelled, forcing the patriarch and his brother to flee. However, Popo then took things one step too far and decided to actually march on Grado, and no Venetian was having any of that. The counter-reaction allowed the Orsoleo brothers back to Venice to lead a fleet to easily defeat Popo, the sailor man. He wasn't actually a sailor, he just sounds like Popeye. At this point, if Ottone Orsoleo had wanted to learn from his mistakes, keep his head down and be a good little dodger, everything may have proceeded well, being peachy keen, if you will. But alas, he did not. The next time the opportunity came up to assign ecclesiastical offices to family and friends, he did not hesitate for a moment. That was the last straw for the Venetians. They deposed him and exiled him to Constantinople. Before they did, they set a great shame upon him by shaving his beard. I suppose that having a beard back in the day in Venetian culture made you macho and cool. I can't really grow much more than a straggly goatee myself, so I would have been the greatest of wimps. I might have had to buy a false one. It seemed that the domination of the Orsoleo family was finally at an end. But the following Dodger quickly discovered that they had done a very good job of spinning a complicated web of international ties, 
with Byzantium, with the Holy Roman Empire, and with the Hungarians, who were always an issue when it came to the Dalmatian shores opposite Venice. Once again, the city went from an active player on the international stage to isolation, with Constantinople even revoking trading rights. In 1032, it seemed that the Orsoleo had done such a good job making themselves indispensable that the restoration of Otto Orsoleo was in the works. However, the delegation sent out to get him found him already fading, and he soon died. And nothing makes restoring a family dynasty difficult like your own death. A last-ditch bid for power was made by a member of a more obscure branch of the family, Domenico Orsoleo, but it failed. The Orsoleo dynasty was really and definitively at an end. The family had dominated Venetian politics for over half a century, and in particular the last-ditch attempt by the obscure Domenico Orsoleo led Venetians to understand that some sort of mechanism was needed to avoid similar situations in the future. It was the next doge, Domenico Flabanico, a rich merchant who had led the rebellion against the Orsoleo, who decided to forbid the whole associating people to the throne business. And you have to hand it to the Venetians and their love for contracts and rules. This rule stuck for the remaining seven and a half centuries of the Venetian Republic. Only twice more would two dodges from the same family succeed one another, and in both cases it would be brother to brother and not father to son. Hereditary rule in Venice was over. The reign of Flabanico brought 12 years of peace, and soon the Byzantines also came around to the realization that they really needed the Venetians and their fleet and their trade network, and so trading rights were granted once more. When Flabanico died, the old villain Popo von Treffen popped up again and snuck down from Aquileia to take Grado again. What a great name. I mean, you can just see him twirling his moustache and saying, Curses! Foiled again! This time around, he was foiled by his own death. The next dodge along, Domenico Contarini, was the one who took Grado back. It was also during his reign that a solution was found for the whole Aquileia and Grado fighting over the patriarchy by moving the seat to Venice. So, Rialto itself in 1045. It's sort of like moving something out of somebody's reach and saying, nah, 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 you can't reach it. So, the next time that some villainous mustachio-twirling Aquilean villain popped up and wanted to physically take the seat of the patriarchy, they would have to take Rialto, and that wasn't going to happen until a certain Napoleon Bonaparte came along. Contarini's was a time of peace internally. Externally, it was his expedition to Dalmatia that brought Zara into the sphere of influence of Venice. The reign of Contarini lasted 28 years, all the way to 1071. Now, 
My very attentive listeners and their great memory will remember this was the period of the investiture crisis, the struggle between the Holy Roman Emperors and the papacy over who had the right to create bishops. This was the period of my big obsession with the Countess Matilda, Pope Gregory VII and the Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV. In the whole business, Venice sided with the Empire, which kept them at risk of excommunication, but they got through the whole thing without the excommunication. So, phew, no biggie there. The big issue in the second half of the 11th century were the Normans. Now, we've seen that Venice, and indeed almost all of Europe, looked with great worry at the rising power of the Normans. Venice had already had contacts and skirmishes with them when, in 1081, Eastern Roman Emperor Alexios Comnenus officially asked Venice for help. The Normans, under their legendary leader Robert Giscard, were rapidly taking all of southern Italy, and now they were also threatening the other side of the Adriatic, particularly the modern-day Albanian town of Dures, the ancient Roman town of Durachium. If the Normans took that city, they could put a stranglehold on Venetian trade, choking their access to the Mediterranean Sea. So, Doge Domenico Silvo accepted the request and led a fleet out to meet the Normans. The first engagement was totally one-sided. The Venetians attacked with their raised gangways and Greek fire shot from underwater tubes that left the Normans defenceless. The fleet was obliterated. Fortunately for the Normans, they had already managed to land their ground troops and the city of Dyrrhachium was taken anyway. No matter, the next year, another Venetian fleet returned to free the city and in a second naval battle, they once again defeated Robert Giscard and his Normans. However, this time, they must have suffered from overconfidence from their easy victory the previous year, for they made a mistake you could not make when the Giscard was involved, and that is to leave him for beaten. As he watched the Venetian fleet leaving, the Norman gathered up his remaining ships and attacked, taking the superior Venetian ships totally by surprise. They just had time to start manoeuvring into position, and they were under attack. Of the nine great and powerful war galleys they had, two were captured and seven lay on the bottom of the Adriatic. Doge Domenico Silvo was blamed for the defeat, and he was deposed and sent off to a monastery. Although things didn't end too well for the Doge, for Venice and the Byzantine Empire, things turned out okay. The death of Robert Giscard and many of his troops, due to typhoid, removed the threat from the western provinces of the empire, and Byzantium showed its gratitude to Venice by totally erasing taxation on its trade in all of the empire. So, as the 11th century drew to a close, Venice was doing okay again. As a symbol of this, under the next doge, Vitale Falier, construction 
on the third and definitive Basilica of St. Mark's was started, the one you can visit today. Although today, as I record this on the 13th of November 2019, you can't. It has been raining almost non-stop for over 10 days in Italy, and Venice has been hit with the second highest flood in its history. St. Mark's Square is under a few feet of water, and there may have been damage to the basilica. Fingers crossed, everyone. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. In particular, I'd like to thank a PayPal donor or donator or whatever, Brenda W. Thank you very much, Brenda, for your generosity. Now my twice-monthly shout-out to the Matilda Di Canossa and Giuseppe Mazzini-level donors, Aaron, Benjamin, Deborah, Eric R., Lorenzo, Maddie, Mattia, Paul, Scott, Thomas and YR. My regular shout-out to the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei-level, Anthony, Ben, Silane, Chris, Daniel, Dean, Greg, Ignacio, Jay, Caitlin, Kevin, Roberta, Rodney, Shelby, Stephen and Vincent, and the tippy-top, super-level Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri, Sen, Paolo, Reactionary Venetian, and Lisa K. Remember, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com to say hello, have a chat, or criticize something that you haven't liked or I've been rambling on about totally erroneously in the podcast. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media, you can get hold of us on Twitter and Facebook, and you can consult extras such as timelines and maps. Until next time, once again, thanks very much to everyone for listening, and arrivederci. Doge Ottone Orsoleo, you stand accused of using the great responsibility granted to you by the people of Venice for the personal adventures of your family. I hereby sentence send you to... Oh no, mercy, after all I did some good for Venice, please, mercy! Exile in Constantinople. Oh no, mercy, wait, what? Yes, exile! Wait, so my punishment is to go to a city where I have a load of connections full of all sorts of wonders and entertainment and people and food from all over the world? Yes, I'm afraid we have no choice but to be harsh. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, no, how cruel you are, but I suppose I deserve it. Wait! That's not all. Oh no, surely, surely that's punishment enough. Oh mercy, good sir, my fellow citizens of Venice, please. We will also shave your beard. Oh no, oh mercy. Uh, oh, what, shave my beard? Yes, ha! What do you say to that? 
Oh no, wow, what a terrible fate, a free shave, oh no, whatever will I do? Oh, this is just too much. Yes, well go now and think about what you've done, young man. Oh yes, you are severe but just, I thank you. Suckers. What? Nothing, <laughs> bye now, oh woe is me, oh no, etc, etc. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com. That's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com and find out how to submit your show.